What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. April is a huge month for TV, and starting this weekend, the Recapables feed returns to give you in-depth analysis on your favorite TV shows, including Killing Eve, Billions, and many more. There will also be a special Precapables series on the Recapables feed on the final season of Game of Thrones, where our staff forecasts what will happen every Sunday on the show. So make sure to subscribe now before the premiere of Killing Eve and Game of Thrones on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. David, before sentencing radio host Craig Carton to three and a half years in prison, Judge Colleen McMahon said from the bench, Colleen from New York, first time, long time. (laughs) What other talk radio catchphrases would you like to see injected into the veins of polite society? I mean, listen, I'm not the... I, I didn't grow up with this like East Coast sports radio, so I feel like I'm kind of coming from behind on this. I mean, it would be listen. I mean, we all know that first time, long time was just immaculate work. I mean, really <laughs> ethically problematic. I'm sure. Was I don't it? know how the legal system looks at yeah, these things. Yeah, I think but, so. Was she trying uh, to win like the Jim Rome smack off from the bench? I mean, yes. It would, I mean, I, I I can only hope that before closing arguments, she said like, "I'll hang up and listen," <laughs> you know, or something to that effect. I'm not sure that like. And there, I'm sure there are other court cases where, you know, you'd be excited to hear Mega Dittos or Baba Booey or something <laughs> being dropped in the middle of it. Those, like, there probably has been Baba Booey used in the courtroom at some point. I don't I, don't I think I'd know. be horrified to hear Baba Booey used in the middle of my federal trial that could send me to <laughs> jail for three and a half years. Do you think she, uh, in the Rush Limbaugh sense, thought that Craig Carton had talent on loan from God before turning to the <laughs> life of crime? Oh my gosh! There was, I, you know, this is WrestleMania weekend. It would be I, I, I'm starting off the show with the mention, but uh, there was one sort of almost tragic moment when a crazed fan tackled Brett the Hitman Hart uh, during a Hall of Fame induction speech that he was giving. Um, uh, that guy, I don't even, I'm going to mention his name. He said that he just thought it was the right moment. Obviously, a little mentally disturbed or whatever, but uh, he's already had, you know, made his first appearance in court. I, I it, it would be slightly humorous for all the wrestling fans out there if. Uh, you know, the judge said that he'd be serving hard time. <laughs> we are the Have a Take and Don't Suck of Media Podcasts. This is the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast where billionaire presidential candidates aren't allowed to forgive cable news hosts. Ryan Curtis and David Shoemaker here again with three topics for your pleasure and amusement. First, David. Joe Biden isn't running for president yet, but he's already in trouble for the unwanted touching of female politicians and other women he's come into contact with. How has that issue been covered and how has Biden used the media to get himself out of political danger? Second, we talk about the destruction of the insurgent Alliance of American Football last week. What mistake do sports writers make when we moon over spring football? And finally, it sounded like a control plus V sports debate. Who had the better career, Paul Pierce or Dwayne Wade? But on ESPN, it turned into the perfect and perfectly consumable sports TV opinion segment. We discuss why, plus the notebook dump and the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But let's start with Joe Biden, David. The idea that the former Veep was uncomfortably physical with women has been around for a long time. But it came back in a big way last week when Lucy Flores, a former member of the Nevada Assembly, wrote in the cut 
that at a 2014 campaign event, Biden put his hands on her shoulders, kissed the back of her head, and smelled her hair. According to Flores's piece, she thought, what in the actual fuck? Why is the vice president of the United States smelling my hair? And she continued, I never had experienced anything so blatantly inappropriate and unnerving before. This wasn't the only accusation Biden faced last week. According to the New York Times, a former college student and sexual assault survivor said Biden rested his hand on her thigh and hugged her just a little bit too long at an event on sexual assault. A writer named D.J. Hill said Biden put his arm on her shoulders at a fundraiser and started dropping it down her back before her husband intervened. Biden himself was finally forced to make a statement. Here's part of it. Hands on the shoulder, a hug, uh, encouragement. And now, and now it's all about taking selfies together. Uh, you know, social norms have begun to change. They've shifted. And the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I get it. I get it. I hear what they're saying. I understand it. And I'll be much more mindful. That's my responsibility. My responsibility, and I'll meet it. But I always believe governing, quite frankly, life for that matter, is about connecting, about connecting with people. That won't change, but I will be more mindful and respectful of people's personal space. Governing, quite frankly, life for that matter. It was like somebody said, please make this sound as much like a political apology as possible, which uh, I think Biden accomplished there. Uh, After that came out Wednesday, three more women, David, described uncomfortable encounters to the Washington Post. So again, Biden was asked at a conference in Washington if he was sorry. Here's take two. But there's some women who want to hear directly, I am sorry. Are you sorry for the way that you I'm sorry I didn't understand more. I'm not sorry for any of my intentions. I'm not sorry for anything that I have ever done. I've never been disrespectful intentionally to a man or a woman um i you know it's that's not the reputation i had since i was in high school for god's sake so that's a really qualified i'm sorry david it's more like i'm sorry but i'm a hugger and i like to touch people and that's what i'm gonna do mm-hmm. what did you make of the biden apology i guess i'll just say to you know get the benefit of the doubt section out of the way. I mean, if you were a hugger and that's what you plan to do, I guess that's what you would say, right? I mean, if you want to just, uh, you know, take the kindest possible look at it, then, then you know, it, I guess it felt, uh, I mean, that, 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 I mean, you can, you can look at that as a, as a sort of refreshing, refreshingly honest way to respond. It is a weird kind of but, high ground to stake out, right? To say, I'm not apologizing for my intentions. My intentions were so noble and so yeah. palliative and comforting that I, I would not, I will not apologize for being nice. That's essentially what he's saying, is it not? Yeah, but that said, the execution so it was really wanting, right? I mean, for one thing, you know, the expectation from Joe Biden and a Joe Biden presidential campaign because he's not technically in the race or whatever, but that's that's really beside the point right i mean he's very very much in the race um is that is professionalism right i mean we would expect at a bare minimum a sort of a level of like preparedness and professionalism that maybe some of the the, the candidates i mean that the campaigns of the, some of the uh less experienced candidates would yes. lack qualified and this apology he's qualified this apology yes and this apology video started in mid-sentence or seemed to and cut off and ended in mid-sentence uh 
it was filmed, you know, in a, I mean, I, I'm sure they were trying to go for a very casual look, but it was, it, it all, it, the, the presentation was kind of odd. Um, and, and I think the reception was, you know, kind of, you know, I mean, across the board, no matter what your position was, I think it was received sort of poorly. I mean, for people who think that he needed to apologize or people to think that he was, you know, actually, uh, you know, in the wrong in these situations, they were really underwhelmed by what, he, by his, by his, you know, semi-apology, his response. Um, and for people, and, and, you know, there's a large contingency of people who don't think he has anything to apologize for. Um, even they were, you know, sort of offended by the ham-fistedness of the attempt. You know, I mean, it was, it, it, it just seemed to be, um, it just, it, it just didn't seem to really satisfy anybody. And maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is you, I mean, it, I was not surprised that he was asked about it again, um, but I was sort of surprised that he responded. I, I just, I, I almost expected him just to do the one video and for him just to say like, we're done talking about this when, when asked about it going forward. We'll see how much it continues to be an issue in the campaign. Well, a, couple, a couple of responses to that one, there was a big piece in the New York times yesterday by Alex Burns and Jonathan Martin that talked about the fact that Biden doesn't have a presidential campaign because he hasn't hired anybody. He hasn't polled his various weaknesses. He just, he has no infrastructure at all. So there were statements issued and then there was this Twitter video and then there were the comments at the thing that we played on Friday. And I think that is a case of him not having any organization and anybody telling him, you know, or, or convincing him what he should do. And this is all just Biden purely following his instincts. So that's why it's all over the place. The second thing to what you said, and I agree is that there's this idea that Biden is more competent somehow than some of the other people in the race. That is something I think a lot of we Democrats or liberally inclined people believe because of the extreme competence and relatively scandal-free nature of the Obama administration, which Biden was a part yes. of. But people who remember Joe Biden's presidential campaign, very short one, in yeah. 2008, do not or 1988 for that matter, do not remember Mr. Competent. They remember a train wreck of a candidate who said semi-insulting things about Obama, who plagiarized a speech back in 88. He was he was totally wheels off. Yeah, I think that that's uh, yeah, I mean, that's really important to acknowledge. I think the, I mean, the point that I was trying to make is that if you that like the case for the argument for a Biden presidency has to include that Obama era yes. confidence, I mean, competence. And confidence, I guess, because without that, then this is what you're left with, right? I mean, even just the he's not anybody's in is sort of a, I mean, it's sort, it feels like a very old school move in 2019, right? Um, there's a lot of this sort of, I think all of this, the presentation of this apology, everything you just said underscores um, the sort of lack of freshness in his campaign and his ideas. You know, we saw, I mean, he can, we saw what the reaction that Clinton got four years ago when when it seemed like she was just sort of running on her, uh, you know, resume and not uh, not you know pushing any big ideas forward, because but now uh, even more so than then, Biden's in a field with a bunch of, you know, relatively young or relatively fresh uh, presidential aspirants with with big ideas, you know, and he's done this sort of um, hocus pocus by being Obama adjacent, um, <laughs> but there's not so so far there's not there's there's very there's not a lot of new. Uh, like with his competition and maybe he'll co-op some of those ideas and maybe he'll, you know, maybe, maybe that he'll evolve as a candidate. Um, but if he's seen as a dinosaur, 
it's going to be hard to take any new ideas he comes up with seriously. And and this is what circles back around to the to the, the subject here. If if his ideas about human interaction, about touching in public, about you know about the way you can put your hands on strangers regardless of your intentions, if if your argument, I mean, if your defense is, I'm an old old man, <laughs> then that's not going to help him with any other part what of a the bumper campaign. sticker. I'm an old old yeah. man, and I want your vote for president. Yeah, I mean, he is attaching himself to Obama, and his his um. His quote from Friday when he wasn't uh, semi-apologizing was, I'm an, Ob- an Obama-Biden Democrat, and man, I'm proud of it. And that then gets us into all kinds of other things because it's, it's really about, one, attaching yourself to the competence of Obama, but two, this ideological argument that the Democrats are having right now about what, is a de- what should a Democratic president, presidential candidate stand for. And what should they look like? And what kind of and what mm-hmm. vision of the of the party? So right, so that gets us on a completely different track. But I completely agree. That is that is he is single cell. And by the way, just to, to reiterate, he is not running for president at the moment. He is going to run for president. There was a lot of winky winky on Friday uh, at that at that speech he gave, but he doesn't have. And that was the point of the Times piece I was talking about. He is his whole idea was I'm not going to officially push the start button. So I'm going to stay out of all of the nitty gritty of the campaign for as long as I can, because I know I'm going to get attacked. I know I'm going to be the front runner. I know I have the longest, Mm -hmm. most troublesome record of anybody in this race. But all that happened is he is now in the nitty gritty and he doesn't have a campaign to deal with it. That was the argument of the Times piece. And I think that's exactly right. The other thing I want to talk to you about is the weird physicality of Joe Biden. Isn't it part of what created the Uncle Joe meme that has been sort of a thing for a decade <laughs> plus now? And if you look in your uh, in the Google Doc for the press box, you will see the uh, I just put in that picture of him snuggling with the biker uh, yeah, while the two that. guys look on like, who the hell is this guy? Um, yeah. He at the speech on Friday uh hugged the union president who was a woman and said, I just want you to know I had permission to hug Lonnie. He said, well, the largely male crowd burst into laughter. This is at the, uh, according to the times, uh, a child walked on stage and Biden wraps his arms around the a boy and says, by the way, he gave me permission to touch him. He says more laughter from the crowd. So not only is this, was this a formerly funny meme, but this was something that Biden himself was leaning into. Like, this is this is the Uncle Joe identity, I think, is besides Obama, the other 50 percent of his mojo. And what this does is it directly goes to that and says, well, maybe Uncle Joe, the character, was always a little weird and a little bit skeezy. And we shouldn't have been, you know, mooning over that as much as we were. Yeah, I think I think that that's probably right. I mean, I, I mean, I I I, I um. You know, I mean, we got to say there's been a lot of conspiracy theories, too, that that, you know, this sort of stuff was leaked from the Biden side. I mean, if you're if you're going to make the argument, I mean, if, if the case is he doesn't have a campaign then that sort of puts the lie to it. But but that to kind of get this out of the way earlier, I don't, because I don't for a lot so, of people, man. it doesn't feel like. That. No, I, I don't e- I, I don't either. But but you see that, like, at this point, I mean, Biden has a big constituent, has many constituencies. So I don't want to I don't want to um, belittle his, you know, his chances in this race. But he certainly has a big constituency in the in the sort of Democrat mainstream, right? I mean, he, in the the um, 
you know, Washington Democrats are by and large Joe Biden fans and some Washington Republicans are Joe Biden mm-hmm. fans, you know, and but and for them, this is baked in. Right. All, all of this sort of stuff is is, you know, I mean, you could see, um, you know, I watched Morning Joe the other day when this stuff, when this story was breaking and Mika Brzezinski could not have been more like disgusted to have to have the conversation. <laughs> and I mean, and by that, I mean, like she was just so dismissive of any allegations against him. She was like, this is just. A hand, like a like a touchy feely guy. This is a normal thing in the world, and let's move on. Um, and and I think that you know, there's some, I, there has to be some hope that just by talking about it, by joking about it, as distasteful as that may be to to so many people, that you just that you can normalize it and move on and try to get the rest of the voter base, uh, especially the primary voters, to this sort of place where the Washington Democrat you know, uh, mainstream is, which is like, yeah, we know this about him. Now let's talk about something mm-hmm. else. Totally agree. I'd say a related point to that too is, and this is a tweet from the Washington Post, Dave Weigel. I think a lot of, about the median voters' memory of Biden, the shirt-sleeved scrapper from 2008 versus the slower, nostalgic Biden that hits the trail these days. And he, he adds, Weigel adds, how much did your parents change from age 65 to 77. I think this is one of the mostly unwritten things about Biden at this stage of the campaign. And I just happened to go to a Senate rally in Indiana for Joe Donnelly where Biden spoke in October. So this is sort of fresh in my mind. But this Uh is not the Osama bin Laden is dead and GM is alive Biden of the 2012 convention. This dude is in the speeches is all over the place. There are these weird, long digressions And it's something that I think newspapers have trouble writing about because it's sort of half theater criticism and half you risk charges of ageism. But he Mm -hmm. is not the same guy on the stump that he once was. And whether it's he's older, whether he's in a different place in his life, his son has died famously, all these kinds of things have happened. It's not the same guy. And I think part of him not running for president is that sort of been in the that hasn't really come out yet. And him doing that extremely awkward Twitter video, it sort of reminded people, it's like, oh, wait, there's just some very different about this guy. And our memory of this guy, even outside of the DC bubble, our memory of this guy is just very, very different. That's one thing I want to run. The other thing to you is that we talk about Biden in a different age of social norms with the touching and hugging and all that stuff. It's also a different age of media. And Democrats like Beto O'Rourke or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have made it seem like they are speaking to you from their Twitter account or their social media accounts or Instagram, whatever it is, right? Biden, as he showed the other day, is not comfortable speaking to you from social media. In fact, it was really awkward him talking about selfies and all that stuff. Um, Uh I think that's a big thing, right? You look at the people like Trump on the Republican side, O'Rourke on the Democratic side have you showed how effectively they can use social media. And then you have Biden and you realize, oh, wow, this is a totally different world for him. This is a sandbox he's never played in. And that's going to be really jarring, I think, when he actually hits the road uh, for 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think it's going to be, um, you know, the the competency we talked about earlier or the, or the, or the hope for it, the, the you know, the experience – I mean, the problem with that is that is that especially for Joe Biden, there's this expectation that he's going to, you know, that he materializes as a big front runner and, and he will. I mean, he has a great name recognition, oh, yeah. but there's only but there's only one real way for it to go from there. And uh, if, if he's if he's if he falters, 
then the conversation immediately goes in a million different directions. You know, I mean, if there's any hesitation and and there, and, and it seems like there's going to be, you know, a fairly steady, steady stream of of potential faltering. So, you know, we'll we see still got we the go. Clinton era stuff. We've still got the Anita Hill stuff, which also bubbled up a little bit last week. He's just got such a long record to 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 answer for and will be. And without an affirmative argument about what what why he's running for president. No. You he know? hasn't made it anyway. It's not. Yeah, I mean, especially I mean, you can say you're I an Obama Biden. I love you know putting your own name in those in, in that sort of in that sort of. <laughs> I'm a shoemaker. Know, I'm a shoemaker Curtis podcaster. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, if you can be an Obama Biden Democrat, that's great. But like you know, you can't. Everybody was Democrats seem were very content then, but there wasn't a you know. I don't know what anybody actually hears when they see when they hear. I mean, is he supposed to hear when he says that? It's a it's it you know he needs to make a case and and as long as he's not doing that then we're just going to talk about old joe biden and, and all the problems with the him. final and inevitable monkey wrench david into this story last week was donald trump i know this is going to shock you but donald trump took advantage of the scandal oh, he didn't just yeah. stay away from it he tweets this this weird thing which is uh biden giving his twitter statement and these hands coming over and uh biden's shoulders and all that stuff which the New York Times' Charlie Wurzel reports went from a toxic subreddit forum to the president's Twitter account in 19 hours. Um, that was interesting. And then the, the aforementioned Jonathan Martin raised this question. He says, does that make Democrats nervous about Biden's viability, a la the attacks on Elizabeth Warren? Or does Trump attacking him throw Biden a life preserver at this huh. crucial moment and say, hey, wait a second. Okay, enough of a pile on. Now Trump's look at this. Trump is using our attacks. Now let's let's rally around him. What do you, how do you read that? I mean, I think I mean there might be a, a bit of truth to both of those things, but I don't think either of them are the you know the final answer. I, I think that the truth is that Trump is indeed. I think Trump is being pretty forthright in in the way in who, what he's tweeting about. I think that he thinks that he can beat. Joe Biden because of stuff like this. I think that, I mean, I think that he definitely thinks he can beat Elizabeth Warren. Um, and so he's egging, he is egging them on and, you know, and, to, and, and just sort of like preemptively gloating. Uh, I don't know that either that he could actually beat either of those people or, or any particular person in the race. But, um, you know, I think it does, I think it does put both of them in a positive light for a certain, you know, for a big part of the Democrat base because they're, you know, it, it, it. You want someone who can quote unquote get down and dirty, get in the mud with Trump, whatever. Or and uh, and this sort of puts them there. And as long as they keep going, it seems it's a positive. But, um, you know, I I, I don't I, I would I would hesitate to to try to read too much in the tea leaves just based on what Donald Trump is doing. He's 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 obviously very excited to be back in campaign mode, and. Uh, and, you know, this is just part of the way he operates. All right, David, now it's time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. First up, I have a tweet for you from a Houston television station. Quote, the Drug Enforcement Administration is looking for a contractor who can burn 1,000 pounds of marijuana per hour. End quote. <laughs> the DEA sees a lot of drugs, right? So they need someone to... Who can burn a thousand pounds of marijuana pretty quickly? Uh, it was an overworked Twitter joke to volunteer yourself. Thanks to <laughs> Eben Altman for that one. I believe that reading this piece, the DEA actually had to issue a later statement saying, "Look, we need an actual professional firm to do this that that actually does these things, not uh, not Cheech and Chong to uh, help us out with that one." 
again, thanks to Eben Altman for that one. David, two pretty great Final Four games on Saturday. Uh, Virginia barely beat Auburn on a last-second foul. And Texas Tech, the old Southwest Conference's very own, defeated Michigan State. Now, the Final Four is in Minneapolis. And I don't know if you saw this note. Tom Izzo, coach of Michigan State, said that former Spartan quarterback Kirk Cousins would address the Michigan State basketball team on the eve of the Final Four. Kirk Cousins. It was an overworked Twitter joke to say that this was the moment Michigan State lost the game. <laughs> Why did Michigan State just do what everybody else does and hire Ric Flair? Isn't, isn't he just... It's WrestleMania, WrestleMania weekend, oh, man. Right. Ric Flair was helping Triple H beat Batista. That was, their, that, was the, that was the whole thing. We could chalk the loss up to the WrestleMania. Because yeah, Ric Flair is could, like the most hireable person on the planet to fire up your team right now. It's absolutely Thanks true. Thanks to Jay Carpe DM94 for that one. And finally, David, another self-nomination from Dan Diamond, writer over at Politico. <laughs> I'm so glad the famous journalists are listening to us because God knows no one else is. Uh, <laughs> Dan Diamond nominates himself for this. Uh, you saw, David, that Donald Trump now wants to nominate Herman Cain to the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, it was an overworked Twitter joke to write out Keynesian economics in Keynesian <laughs> economics. If you trickled your way down to that one, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, David, topic number two. And this is lesson number one billion about why TV ratings are a dumb metric to, me- to measure anything except TV ratings. We paid a lot of attention to the ratings that the Alliance of American Football got during its debut on February 9th. The AAF had 3 million viewers on CBS, which is more than the NBA game over on ABC. Well, less than three months later, the AAF is dead. Last Tuesday, billionaire Tom Dundon, who had basically become the guy running the league when he agreed to lend it 250 million bucks, pulled the plug. Couple of interesting facets of this story for you. First, it's kind of an amazing what happened business story that I feel we haven't quite gotten the full what happened yet. But a few of the things that surfaced early was Albert Breer over at the MMQB said the AAF going bust was about really about the app. He said there's a perception inside the league yeah. that Dundon, who was also the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, bought a majority stake simply for the gambling app being developed. And a source tells Breer, Dundon got the technology he wanted. And now he's minus rather one rather large headache, a.k.a. he's minus the league. So remember when we were joking about how the AAF was it really a data company? And that was so yeah. depressing. <laughs> it turns out it might have been. And you didn't even need, you didn't yeah. want the football. You just wanted the data. Yeah, I haven't seen much more on the subject, although, uh, you know, people that I talk to seem to think that that uh, Breer is on the right track with this. And he's certainly well-sourced and, and, and you know, gets things like this right. Um, it is it is really interesting. I mean, the fact that, I mean, Dundon sort of rode in on a, you know, on a white horse, but it was, it all happened. And uh, I don't even know how to continue this no, metaphor. It all say, happened just sort of, in, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it was, it, it was all, it was, there was such a weird shroud around the whole thing. And it was, he just sort of appeared out of nowhere, willing to, to buy, to, to take over, you know, to buy in $250 million. After the first week, um, by the way. After the first week. Yeah, and by the way, you, I mean, before we get away from it, you know, the ra- there, there's a lot of, uh, it's WrestleMania weekend. There's a lot of this that's tied in with the XFL. I mean, this is, uh, Charlie Ebersol's dad was, was the, you know, partnered up with Vince McMahon to do the XFL the mm-hmm. first time. And I think a lot of the sort of backroom reporting that we've heard is that they approached Vince McMahon to buy the XFL name and, and, and some of that, you know, some of the trademark assets. And Vince McMahon was like, nah, I'm just going to start my own. I'm just going to do the XFL myself again. And so that's theoretically a year off. 
Um, and so, but and so they, they they got this new name and they continued on. And it, it seemed like a little bit of a, a lost cause from the beginning, if you if you look at it that way. But the XFL, you know, in its first week, got like a nine point five rating. Yep. And and it, and everybody was just stunned. And then like the next week, it was down to a four something. And and it was like, okay, well, this is <laughs> this is where we are. I mean, people are always interested in new things. People are always interested in professional football and or whatever auspices, but. You know, I think you just sit down, and you watch it, and you're like, "Oh, well, actually, I, I ha- there's a reason why I watch the NFL, and I'm not interested in the CFL or whatever else." Um, there's only so far this sort of newness can take you. Yes. And if your business model also, which seems to be the case, if your business model is we're going to start operating, and then pu- and then publicly insist that we're an NFL developmental league until they give us an influx of cash, well, that seems like a problem too, <laughs> right? I mean. Uh, the whole thing just seemed like it seemed like a, like even the parts that you can discern from just public statements just make it feel like a weird shell game, and you end up with 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 AAF players saying that they're like suddenly getting credit card charges for their hotel stays that they that were supposed to be covered by the team or the mm-hmm. league, and I mean it's just a it's just a mess. Yeah, now. I think it's true that what what journalists are trying to do right now is figure out what what the shell game actually was. Uh, there's also a good piece by this guy, Ryan Karchi. I hope I'm saying his name correctly in the Orange County Register. Oh, yeah. He did this big piece, and he and he goes over the Dundon stuff, which is really interesting. By the way, Dundon made his fortune, according to Karchi, off subprime auto loans. So can you oh, see God. the parallels of getting, giving the Spring Football League a giant influx of cash when you're doing subprime auto loans? Um, mm-hmm. Dundon's role we've talked about a little bit. And him, as you say, trying to force this issue with the NFL Players Association. He, he seemingly like he came out and said, well, we need a talent sharing agreement right now or I'm going to fold the league, which seemed ridiculous right at the end, barely at the end of their first year. But the other thing is like how much how how good an idea was this if by Charlie Ebersol and Bill Polian, who were the founders of the league, if they ran out of cash so quickly that they had to hand over the league to this dude within like five minutes of it starting. If they if they, they, they blamed that they said there was this payroll problem and all this stuff. Do we really understand how well-baked this was if you had to turn to the white knight immediately after your league started yeah. and say, hey, you get you get control of this whole thing, just give us this much-needed money? I mean, that seems awfully quick to me. And I sort of wonder if there's not a yeah. lot of blame here to go around. Um, and by the way, you mentioned the tear-jerking stories. That was sort of the, the second gear of this Adrian Robinson, uh, one of the players you mentioned about the hotel charges, he tweeted, I, he was the tight end with the Memphis Ex- express. I woke up to a $2,500 charge pending on my account from the hotel. Our team stayed in. I called the bank and Memphis's team president. My only option is to dispute the charges on Monday. So he's like you when your uh, credit card details get stolen. Uh, Gianni mm-hmm. Paul linebacker with the salt Lake stallions uh, tweeted play game, break arm, League ends all within 24 to 48 hours. Now looking for an apartment. Need help finding an apartment. You can't make this shit up. So that was uh, that was some of the human interest part. I do want to get to the think PC part of this with you, which is spring football. We always hear, and it's now the gleam in Vince McMahon's eyes, that there's this appetite for this. Do we really think, whenever I hear this, I think America already has spring football. It's called the NFL Draft. It's called Adam Schefter flexing yep. during free agency. It's the schedule release. Yep. It's all that stuff. Like we have this thing that is attached to the NFL. And do you really think there's a ton of appetite 
beyond that stuff that runs on the NFL network 24-7 for the six months we're not playing actual football? Yeah, I mean, it seems uh, sitting down for extra full games. I mean, it does seem like at some point that when, as these as all of our sports leagues evolve into year-round activities and we get more and more obsessed with the Schefterisms and, and and all that kind of stuff and Woj on the basketball side and all that it it does seem like sitting down to actually sl- like to trudge through watching a game is sort of the hardest slog of the whole of <laughs> fandom, right? I mean, it's like the last thing you need is another three and a half hour obligation to sit in front of the TV. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I do think that it's um, I I do think that it's a, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's it's sort of like we've all taken for granted that there's a that there's an appetite for this, and I'm, I'm I lean towards you. I I'm not sure that there is. I'm not sure either. First of all, I always as a college football guy, I always get offended when people say, "Well, there's got to be a, an appetite beyond just the NFL." Yeah, we have college football all year. February, you know, yeah. the winter is recruiting all the way through February, and then you have the spring games and all these you know practice reports and stuff in the spring. There's just a ton of football stuff in the world. And I also just think, like, to me, whatever one of these leagues is interesting, at the end of the day, it's bad football for teams you don't care about. Yeah. Like, if they had the Fort Worth uh, Mustangs in the league, in, in the XFL or whatever, what would it take to get you to care about the fortunes of the Fort Worth Mustangs? Like, I couldn't give a damn. It's my our hometown. I couldn't care at yeah. all. But if you told me that there's some team in, you know, Boise – that has the Cowboys third string quarterback who's not going to get any reps, but he's going to start for this team. And it's his chance uh-huh. to prove that he is an NFL football player by taking reps in the spring. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I am I'm, I'm perking up a little bit. Yeah, I think I think what you're what you're hitting on is that it's is that we do have you know uh, we do we do have associations with the teams, you know, and we have we we what we care That's about my is my team is yeah is that is that not my the San team. Diego and, and, fleet. The the fact that we watch football, you know, the fact that America watches football doesn't make football the sport any more like a new a football startup any more exciting than you know Major League Soccer trying to come into markets. You know, it's still like you 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 still end up pitching these the, the, you know pitching the games to the audiences by like the live experience, like come down and and you know it's family day and get cheap hot dogs and everybody loves hanging out, you know, and that kind of <laughs> fireworks you know, show. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The Beach Boys are going to play afterwards, and the uh, and it's a uh, it, you know, and it's it's not it, just because it's football doesn't give it any extra, you know, I don't think any extra source of connectivity with the with the average fan. And I think you know, I think that's the real that's the real problem. Now, if you want to, before we get out, I want I do want to bring up if you want to get into. Consp- we were talking a little bit about conspiracy theorizing early in the show, but if you want to get into you know the the conspiracy here, we can we, we can loop our own boss Bill Simmons into this. When thirty when ESPN's thirty for thirty did the this is the XFL documentary directed by Charlie Ebersol, it famously yeah. d- directed by Charlie Ebersol, it famously ended with the sit down dinner between Dick Ebersol and Vince McMahon, and the unspoken subtext. I mean, just the screaming loud subtext was just the glint in both of their eyes about how they could they, it was time to do this again. You know, just going through the process of retelling the tale was all they needed to know about this being a lucrative property that just didn't, you know, just came a couple years too early or something. And so it's a little wonder that, that you know, Charlie Ebersol went straight from there to, I'm just going to make this a reality. It's a little wonder that Vince McMahon was like, I don't need you guys. I can do this on my own like he did, you know, like he, uh, with, with the hubris that Vince McMahon always will have, uh, which has made him very successful. And... 
But you, but but just because, like, again, just just because people watch football doesn't make the, the NFL doesn't make uh, spring football, uh, you know, a going anything of interest to the, to a football fan. Just because there was a successful thirty for thirty about a spectacular flameout of a spring football <laughs> league doesn't mean that there's room for a spring football league. You that know, had I mean? the it's wrestling a, audience and all these people interested in it. That thirty for thirty, sure. They had the Rock out there doing, you know, cutting promos during during the pregame or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's it's. I mean, listen, they caught fire in a bottle to get as far as they did with the XFL. The fact that we, you know, still make he hate me jokes on rare occasion is a great success, you know, for <laughs> for what they accomplished. But I mean, I don't think any of us should be too surprised about about the direction this is going. I think it's also just how we think about these leagues. If you tell me there's going to be a television, a sports themed television special that gets everybody's attention for like six weeks or three weeks or whatever. I'd be like, okay, I can believe that. That's like Tiger versus Phil competing in a million-dollar match in Vegas or the old Battle mm-hmm. of the Network Stars or whatever. Like, If you tell me this is going to be this kind of fun sports thing, but this idea that we're trying to build a league that lasts for the next 100 years, I'm just like, nah, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see, I mean, if you talk about leagues that have done it well, and I'm not speaking from any kind of deep research on ratings and stuff, but the big three is actually seems like they've made more headway than any than, than anyone would have expected them to, and they did that by taking name players who you recognize and who are recently retired or, you know, <laughs> legends of the days gone by and and just put them in a situation where like nobody I mean, I don't have any idea how the how the win loss playoff structure for this thing works, but when it's on TV, you can just pop it on and watch it for 30 minutes. You know, I mean that's that's what's interesting about it. And uh there's it's it's there's not some sort of deep obligation and but you are attached to the players already, like you were saying earlier. There's there's a sort of, there's a there's a level of attachment and and uh, I don't know that anybody would be, I mean, from a pure mortality standpoint, I don't know that anybody would be interested to see, you know, Troy Aikman go out there and get under center for a couple of snaps. But, you, mean you know, me. the, the, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be worried about Troy. I'd be worried. I'd be very worried. Yeah. See, that's the point. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, that, that's exciting for a few minutes. And then you just realize you're watching with your face hidden behind a pillow. Anyway, um, yeah, this, this seemed like a bad idea from the start. And I, and I cannot, I cannot wait to have the same conversation a year from now about the XFL. Speaking of old athletes, David, and their legacies, I want to talk to you about Paul Pierce versus Dwayne Wade. Oh, and yes. after this segment, I don't want anybody to say we don't sound like a typical ringer podcast. Okay. Is this heat <laughs> check enough for you? Is it? All right. You ready? I'm ready, man. All right. This yeah. started as an NBA countdown segment where the gang was going on one of those hot take, but not really hot take things about Dwayne Wade versus Allen Iverson versus Isaiah Thomas, et cetera. And then Paul Pierce was asked who was better, him or Dwayne Wade. And with an assist from Michelle (laughs) Beadle, he went in. Listen to this. Paul, riddle me this. Who's the better NBA player? That's easy. I can say that off the bat. That's me. (laughs) If you give me Shaq. If you give me LeBron, they did call the big three. Yeah, we got that late, but like early in my career. I mean, what are you doing right now? If you give me these guys early in my career, let me ask you this: What would have been a perfect time for you, Paul? Let's make sure we get this right. I was 24 years old. You give me Shaq. When I'm 24, 25, you give me LeBron and Bosh. I'd be sitting on five or six championships, easy. So then, who has the better NBA career? I played 10 years with who? You know what? Who? Antoine Walker. But here's the thing. Come on, man. Antoine was all star. I I knew you were going to do this. I think that was the perfect sports debate TV segment of all time. (laughs) I really do. Can I outline the ways for you? Yeah, please please explain. First of all, there's two fairly legitimate sides to the debate. 
Paul Pierce is better than Dwayne Wade by the case he just outlined in his very old man way. And then Mm -hmm. there was his co-host, Jalen Rose, making the reverse case and slightly humiliating reverse case for Dwayne Wade. Let's listen to that. He's made all NBA first team twice. Paul hasn't done it. He made all NBA eight times to your four. He made all defensive team three times to your zero. Zero. That's rough. He's won one scoring title. You weren't able to win a scoring title. That's too bad. He has three rings. You have one ring. Ooh, three is bigger than one. (laughs) What you can't see is Pierce's face there, which is this weird sort of frozen smile that uh, Twitter had an incredible amount of fun (laughs) with. It was kind of like Ben Affleck (laughs) on the... uh, Doing the press yeah. tour, um, so there's that. That was the it was a sort of back and forth, and then a uniquely humiliating moment. Don't you agree? Of of Jalen Rose going back at Pierce. Yeah it it was just a really amazing spectacle. I mean, just to to watch the. I mean, on the one hand, this is just like you know one episode of a you know. TV show that's that's on on a fairly regular basis, and and this might have been seen as a throwaway segment. I, I have no idea what the discussion was leading into it, but I mean, it it was it was just just spectacular. I mean, it was there's there's no other way to put it. I think it comes at a really weird time that we have you know these players only broadcasts on TNT mm-hmm. and 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 just a proliferation of um stars or borderline stars as our talking heads which is a fairly new i mean not a new phenomenon but in within the nba you know it wasn't always the case you know it was always, it was sort of a novelty that like you know reggie miller would get in the broadcast booth you know because it certainly wasn't going to be michael jordan or anybody of that ilk you know you didn't see patrick ewing sitting in a tnt halftime show or whatever i mean magic johnson was there there's exceptions to these rules but um but you know, ever since I feel like you know Shaq sat down. I mean, Shaq became a part of. And, and don't 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 read this as me discounting the career of Charles Barkley. He's a great, but he had become more of a talking head by the time that he started with the TNT thing. But ever since Shaq was just like, yeah, I'm going straight from playing to inside the NBA on TNT. It seems like there's more and more guys who just have who are a little bit overqualified playing career wise to be doing these just like just random bits on ESPN. <laughs> I and, think that's uh, right. And yep. so. And so you're suddenly confronted with these dis- these hypothetical discussions. You know, it's one thing for Michelle Beadle or, or or even Jalen Rose to be having these hypothetical discussions about who's the goat or who's the be- whatever. But then you have those people sitting right next to you, and it comes at a time where th- this is maybe a little bit too maybe a little bit too heat checky uh, for for the press box. But I'm hearing all these conversations about where where Dwayne Wade should exist in like sort of the basketball firmament, you know, I mean, like, like if he, like, there's a lot of people trying to figure out how good he was for the purposes of like ranking all time greats. And no one's saying that he's like a top five player, but it is an interesting discussion in terms of shooting guards, in terms of, you know, the lower, the the top 25 or something like that. Does he even make it that high? And Paul Pierce, as great as he was, seems to sort of be in this other class of NBA players that, that just sort of floats separate from any of these real serious discussions. It's almost like, I mean, I can't even think of a, a a parallel. It's like it's like it's it's an apples and oranges thing almost. And so you get into it, and there's not a real answer. But because of the culture of sports that we we have, there's always an argument. You know, there's always an argument in both ways. And 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 uh, yeah, it's it's it was just just watching. I mean, going back to what you said, Paul Pierce's face when Jalen's going <laughs> at him kind of says all you need to know. Yeah, it's like when you mention all these all these sort of over the hill athletes sitting around and controlling the conversation. Like every segment turns into a 
discarded chapter in the book of basketball. It's like yeah. it's like a chapter that didn't make the cut. <laughs> Wade versus Pierce. Like, oh, really? This is a thing? I think yeah. also what made this so perfect, though, is that Pierce is working from the Charles Barkley model, which is every bit of your analysis begins with the premise, I'm better than all these assholes who are playing right now. And yeah. that, for whatever reason, that is, it should be completely a complete dead end. <laughs> it should be so annoying, but it it turns into actual, and Charles Barkley has lived off this for years. It's incredibly entertaining television. Oh, sure. When you just sure. shit on all the players of today in, in the benefit of your career. I also think, by the way, what also made this so fantastic was once this escapes the bounds of sports debate TV where everyone understands why Pierce is doing this and the air quotes kind of around mm -hmm. all the analysis, it just seems like an actual bad blood thing. And I turn your attention to the tweet from Gabrielle Union, actress and wife of Dwayne Wade, who says <laughs> this Paul Pierce thing is so wrong, is wrong on many obvious levels. But what I find troublesome is this idea of a man trying to diminish another man that looks like him, was raised like him in order to, to shine a tad brighter. Shit isn't entertaining. It's sad. I mean, <laughs> she is wow. sticking up for her husband. I totally understand all that. This is surely NBA shit talk. And my career was better than yours. And if I just had a couple extra superstars, I could have won a couple more rings. Surely that is the most eternal thing of all time. And surely Dwayne yeah. Wade is not offended by this. Surely everybody has had this conversation with each other, with each other. It's not, it's yeah. not like he was saying Dwayne Wade was a bad player. He was, I mean, to me that I read this as being about Paul Pierce and, you know, boy, I wish I'd had, you know, Shaq and LeBron on my team, so I could have won a couple of more rings. That's how I read it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly these are the things that incredibly successful multimillionaires go to bed ruining at the end of the night. You know, if only if only I had had Shaq on my team when I was 25. Um, you know, it does say a lot remember, about him. It does, remember it does. when NBA players were all happy, David, back when Paul Pierce was playing? Oh, wait. <laughs> Turns out that's a total myth. No, that wasn't the case. Um, but I mentioned earlier, I don't know how it came together. I don't. You, you didn't read this Bomani Jones tweet yet, no. did you? go for it. No, I mean, I, th I think it's good to go back. It's it's good to reference this tweet that Bomani Jones uh, said, where he obviously has a lot of experience working on ESPN television, where he said, uh, the most fascinating thing about this whole thing is is to me that to me is that Paul at some point had to say, yo, let's do this on the show, or <laughs> at least agree to it. That's amazing on about 15 levels. I mean, sure, maybe he's just saying, all right, we don't, what's, what's our B block? We don't have anything. And so like, I'll, I'm willing to do it. But it's a weird thing just to sort of say, you know, sure, let's let's have let's let's have or, this argument. The whole or, thing maybe, or maybe I mean, somebody listen, said, comparing... how do we make NBA countdown interesting? Which is which maybe has so. been kind of low-key, kind of not interesting for a really long time and less interesting than Rachel Nichols in the daytime. How do we how do we make Paul yeah. Pierce interesting? How about that as a television commentator? I know. Defend your legacy versus Dwayne Wade. Oh wow, he's interesting. Here we go. Um, I mean, to me, it's like the imperatives of of TV. If nothing else, and even that particular show, it's like all of a sudden, like, oh, this is good. Here we go. I'd watch this. Yeah, yeah. No, it would be it would be interesting to see, you know, how many how many players would put themselves on the, would raise their hand and put themselves on the list to say I would be better than Dwayne Wade if I had Shaq and LeBron <laughs> at various points in my career. Should we quickly do the notebook dump? Let's do it. Couple twenty twenty notes for you. I learned from the Twitter account of Krang T Nelson. Oh yeah, that we may have a candidate name pun. To compete with Beta O'Dork, uh, that was the name given to Beta O'Rourke by Fox News's Kennedy, 
Crank T. Nelson shares that there are people calling Bernie Sanders, David, Bernard Panders or Bernard Slanders. So that's... Um, Wait, why Bernard? I don't know. That was unclear. <laughs> I think you just like call the, him by the... It's, it's, like, it's like the Obama yeah, it's like thing. Barry, Barry it's like Barry Sotero the, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Or, or calling Beto, uh, Beto Robert, you know, just like, ha ha ha. I know that you have a birth certificate name. You know, like it's very strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you just, I guess, I guess it indicates more if you, if you, the best view is that it, it indicates that you are like, that you are intending to make a joke. It is, it's a signifier of what is, of, of the second half. Um, Bernard Slanders, I don't think is going to pick up much steam, but I'm excited to hear Kennedy try to get that over. Um, you wanted to talk about Tucker Carlson floating a theory that Trump wants to lose the 2020 election. <laughs> yes. Should we hear a little of the sound yes, of that to kind of set it up? Yeah, do it, Jim, do it. Let's hear a little Tucker Carlson on Trump 2020. But what if Donald Trump had decided he's had enough? Too many investigations, too much nastiness, too few upsides. It wouldn't be a crazy conclusion. How'd you like to spend your 70s locked in the White House? Now, <laughs> I got, I got, I need some clarity here. Am I spending my 70s locked in the White House as the president? Or am I just <laughs> yeah. locked in the White House full stop? Mm. Got to be clear with me on this one. Okay, anyway, David. Yeah, and, and of all, yeah, of all presidents in recent memory, Trump is sort of the least constrained of the White House, uh, it seems, by by his weekend schedule. But the but yeah, I mean, listen, this is the best. This is the most just hilarious, wonderful kind of conspiracy theorizing, where you're not just. It's not just a conspiracy theory to to you know make yourself. I mean, to 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 you know find the the hidden cabal at the root of everything. It's not. It's not just to explain away existence. It's it's to make excuses for uh, a, a a politician that you are have to, uh, that you've been forced to support for his entire presidency. It's almost the conspiracy theory is here is the secret reason, the secret cabal behind what I've had to do on camera for the past two and a half years. You know, I mean, it's like he's he's trying, and and, and the thing is, this is rooted in fact, right? There were or not fact r- rumor. This is there is exi- there was many existing. Sources that said Trump didn't even want to win the first time yeah, and was, in, you was know, funny. many, many memes passed around of him on election night, uh, the, his facial expression when he realized that he had won, didn't, not looking too excited. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just incredible work by Tucker Carlson to do this sort of post facto rewrite of, of the Trump era and to sort of absolve himself of, 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 you know, anything bad that comes out of it. Uh, also in 2020, watch David, Politico's Jesus A. Rodriguez uh, tweets, I looked at the Spanish websites of the 2020 Democrats and found typos, incomprehensible phrases, and whole paragraphs that match Google Translate. So congrats to the uh, 2020 Democrats on their Spanish language outreach, which is going about as well as we probably could have predicted. Uh, last week, you mentioned the classic hee-haw sketch, where oh, where are you tonight? Uh, just want to <laughs> inform you that at least four people, and I'm going to name them, these brave individuals, Sean, Mike Watts, Mike Miller, and Gene Montarosselli reached out to tell us they are down with Hee Haw. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Mike Watts sent over a supercut of the sketch. By the way, I had forgotten how much Hee Haw was like Saturday Night Live in the sense that performers are reading from cue cards and trying not to break half, halfway through <laughs> the bit. I guess I thought Hee Haw was more professional. I thought Hee Haw was the Joe Biden of uh, of, of comedy <laughs> sketch shows. And in fact, much like Biden, I totally misremembered it. Um, anyway. All right, David, it's time for the David Shoemaker Guesses the Terrible Pun headline. Slightly renamed from last week. Oh, no. This one, let's just put it this way. I wrote this one in the car with my wife the other day. 
I think it it exists in the world a few places, but not maybe like this. So anyway, I'm going to name a hypothetical feature story in a magazine, and you tell me the appropriate strained pun headline. Are you ready? Uh, you wait, you're just making up a, an article. So this doesn't exist. This does not exist. But I I am I am saying what would I write as the strain? What would you write as the strained pun headline of this? fictitious article are you ready does that make any sense to you okay. at all okay i i, I will do my this best is like tucker carlson and, and trump here we go a lament about the gentrification of atlanta georgia a lament about the gentrification of atlanta georgia uh and let me let me give you a little more little little more uh a few more clues here the gentrification and the the parts of the city that were left behind okay Parts of the city that may have just been erased through the gentrification oh. of Atlanta, Georgia. All right. Start, start, come up oh, with man. some words. Here we go. We'll play a little hot cold here. I'll walk you through it. Uh, I mean, I immediately go to like George, just go to Georgia Peach. Mm. Go, uh, go with the, Georgia go with the other half mind. of that, uh, of the, go with the city. George, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it hot Atlanta? Um, uh, Atlantis. Hot, hot, scalding hot. Uh, scalding. Atlantis, Atlantis oh. Resort and Casino. Maybe, maybe uh, there's, maybe there's, uh, maybe there's Atl- an Atlantis in popular culture. Uh, the, the Lost City of Atlanta. Oh, the Lost there City of Atlanta. All right. Well done. The Lost City of Atlanta. Isn't that good? That's great. Yeah. Let's publish it. I love that. it. Uh, we will in our fictitious magazine we edit in our heads. That's the press box this week. He's David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production from live from New York by Jim Cunningham. Thank you to all of the professional wrestling fans that approached me this week to say how much they love the press box. I really appreciate that. So does Jim. That was one person. I was there. It was many. Truly one of the more ambitious crossover events in Ringer podcast history is wrestling fans listening to the press box. Yes. Thank you all. We appreciate it. Making the world better one smart mark at a time. We're back next week with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, man. David? Yeah? My career was better than yours. Uh, what in the actual fuck? I mean, it, it was it was just just spectacular. I mean, it was. It's like all of a sudden, no like, oh, this is it. good. Here we go. I'd watch this. <laughs> I think that was the perfect. I cannot wait to have the same conversation a year from now about the XFL. What in the actual fuck? Yo, let's do this on the show, or at least agree to it. That's amazing on about fifteen levels. Okay. I mean, sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm perking up a little bit. Come down and and you know it's family day and get cheap hot dogs and everybody loves hanging out. You know and that kind of fireworks you know, show. Yeah, exactly. The Beach Boys are going to play afterwards and oh, the uh, oh, and, oh, 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 hot hot. Yeah, scalding yeah. I mean, hot. certainly these are the things scalding. that incredibly successful multimillionaires go to bed brewing at the end of the night. There was a lot of winky winky on Friday. Is dead. Yeah, no, it would be it would be interesting to see, you know. Am I spending my 70s locked in the White House as the president? Or am I just locked in the White House full stop? Looking for an apartment, need help finding an apartment. You can't make this shit up. So that's a really qualified, I'm sorry, David. It's more like I'm sorry, but I'm a hugger and I like to touch people, and that's what I'm gonna do. What did you make of?